Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. With the rise of the Islamic State, or Daesh, back in 2014, we witnessed the terrible and awful crimes that they committed against the religious minorities in the region. And some of the worst of these crimes were committed against the Yazidi community, particularly in the Sinjar Mountain region, which garnered a lot of international attention, of course. But this also led a lot of people to ask the question, who are the Yazidis, and what is the Yazidi religion? The Yazidis are referred to as an ethno-religious community, and one that is specifically connected to the Kurdish people of northern Iraq, in regions like Sheikhan, the Sinjar Mountains, and in the region of Lalish. Now what we mean by ethno-religious community is that the religion and ethnicity is so strongly interconnected that we cannot really separate one from the other. And this is sort of shown by the fact that your religious identity as a Yazidi is primarily determined by your parents being Yazidis and that the religion doesn't accept any converts. We usually understand religion from a very modern and often Christian-centric framework in which religion is often separated from things like politics or ethnicity. Uh, but this example shows us that the world of religions are a lot more complex than that and that these divisions aren't usually all that clear at all. The name Yazidi is contested and there's no consensus on where it came from or why it was applied to this group in particular. Some connected to the Middle Persian word Yazad, which means divine being. Others think its origins may have been the name of the second Umayyad caliph, Yazid ibn Muawiyah, whom the group that became the Yazidis are said to have sympathized with. Yazidism has, for the majority of history and even still today, been a primarily oral tradition. This means that there are no sacred texts or canonical collections of texts in which their beliefs or practices are gathered or have a sort of direct source. Instead, beliefs and practices have been orally transmitted by the religious leaders throughout the centuries. This also means that there are many different, often competing understandings of basic tenets um, and elements of the religion, and a huge v variety in how it's practiced. Practitioners understand and often relate to it. 
This, of course, is true for all religions, but particularly so for Yazidism because of its very strong oral tradition and the lack of any texts at all, basically. There is no proclamation of faith um, that Yazidis affirm and no unity in terms of performing rites or prayers or how these are to be performed. Um, this means that it's hard to talk about the Yazidis in any kind of generalizing terms, but there are a few, you could say, generalizations that we can make about the general ideas or theological uh, tendencies and, and practices of this religion. Yazidism is usually described as a monotheistic religion. This means that they believe in one almighty God who has many names. Arguably then, this is the same God as the Abrahamic faiths, as Yazidism share many of the mythological basics of these religions, which we will see. But this one God is so transcendent that he kind of is uninterested in earthly or worldly affairs. Instead, he focuses on heavenly affairs and leaves the sort of ruling or governing of the world to uh, seven angels. And these angels are called the Haftsur or the Heftad. The most powerful and important of these angels are called Malik Taus, the peacock angel. He's the leader of the seven angels and have been given the responsibility to do God's will on earth. Malik Taus, or the peacock angel, has thus become one of the most prominent and important symbols for Yazidism, as you can see on many logos or in many, well, just generally in symbols to represent this religion. Another prominent symbol used by Yazidis is the sun, which represents God and his creative power, and as a result of this, Yazidis uh, pray facing the sun. These angels are also thought to be able to take human form, almost like an avatar in the Hindu tradition, and have done so throughout history. These incarnations are known as khas. As an example, some Yazidis believe that Jesus and the early Muslim theologian and mystic Hassan al-Basri uh, are two examples of this khas. The Yazidis also believe in the process of reincarnation after death, rather than the more common monotheistic concept of heaven and hell. The origins of the Yazidi religion is another point of contention where there really isn't any consensus. Um, they share the mythological background stories of the Abrahamic faiths, and they trace their religion to Adam, the first man. In fact, they often hold that their people are descended from a miraculously born son of Adam, called Shahid ibn Jar. From that point on, the Yazidi religion is often traced through Babylonian, Sumerian, and Mithraic cultures. Uh, what is perhaps most important to Yazidis is that, that they consider their religions to be, or their religion to be, the original religion of the Kurdish people, and that all Kurds before the coming of Islam were Yazidis. Thus, there's a clear line often drawn here between Yazidism and Islam, which one should accept in one sense, but that division or strong division also becomes slightly problematic when we view the more scholarly historical evidence. In fact, Yazidism enters the world stage in the 12th century, and particularly in the region of Ladish, which is still a sort of central region for the religion today. Here, they seem to have first appeared as followers of a Sufi sheikh by the name Adi ibn Musafir, and more commonly known simply as Sheikh Adi. He seems to have come originally from modern-day Lebanon and later studied in Baghdad under or along with some of the most famous Sufi scholars in history, like Abdul Qadr al-Jilani, founder of the Qadriya order, and the two Al-Ghazali brothers, Ahmed and Abu Hamid. It seems that later in his life he chose to live a life of seclusion and resettled in Lalish in the Kurdish mountains, where he founded a Sufi order that he called the Adawiya. This Sufi order, the Adawiya, many scholars argue, is the foundation that would become Yazidism later on. 
It was very characteristic of Sufi sheikhs and missionaries in particular to be more, let's say, tolerant or open towards local traditions in regions that they sort of went into. Um, so they would often, in their practice, adopt local practices of the older religion or, or tradition and sort of give it a new Islamic clothing to sort of easily transition the population to uh, a new Muslim identity. This fact, along with the geographical isolation of the region of Ladish and its people and the Sufi order, led to its gradual development away from its sort of Sufi or Islamic roots into its completely own tradition eventually. Both Yazidis themselves and modern historians and scholars agree on the importance of Sheikh Adi for the religion of Yazidism, but they have different perspectives on who he was. Uh, Yazidis often say that he was a reformer of the herbs of already existing Yazidi religion. And there are different opinions on whether this was a good or bad thing. Uh, those in favor of him often claim that he uh, sort of he was never actually a Muslim, but really a Yazidi in disguise who only claimed to be a Muslim to avoid being persecuted by the Sunni majority. Scholars and historians, however, agree that in Sheikh Adi's writings we find no trace of Yazidism, and that by all accounts he seems to have been an orthodox Sufi Muslim who preached a or created a Sufi order that was within the fold of the sort of mainstream Islamic uh, religion, and that the sort of deviation or separation into its own religion eventually uh, sort of happened or developed after his death. These possible roots in Sufism can also sometimes be very clearly seen, for example, in terminology used in the religious practice. Yazidism and its people are very much divided into a kind of caste system. And in this caste system, there are a number of castes, obviously. The lower caste of the majority are known as murids. Above them are the peers, or elders, who function as spiritual guides and uh, religious clergy, basically. And lastly, uh, the highest caste, which are the sheikhs, or masters, who seem to have had a rather similar role to the peers, but even more exalted. They are sometimes thought to have healing powers, for example. For those of you who know your Sufism or Sufi terminology, you'll recognize these terms um, as they are the same words that are used in the hierarchy of the Sufi orders or in the Sufi practice generally. Murid in Sufism denotes a student of a master, also known as a sheikh. Pir is also often used as a name for the sort of leader of a certain Sufi order. In any case, these castes have played and still do play an important role in Yazidi practice. Like with many other religions, Yazidism can be characterized primarily as a religion of orthopraxy rather than orthodoxy. This means that they put more emphasis on uh, sort of cultural and traditional practices and, and, and on taboo and things like that rather than having certain beliefs or following a theological doctrine. The caste system and the ethnic unity of the Yazidi people is very important. This means that one is very rarely allowed to marry outside of the religion and usually not allowed to marry across castes either. This is in fact even more frowned upon than marrying outside of the religion altogether. So the role of Murid or Sheikh is hereditary. 
If one marries outside the religion, that person is usually excommunicated and no longer considered a Yazidi. The actual practice of the religion is often connected to these ideas of taboo and different traditional cultural uh, practices. There are festivals celebrated around the year, like the Yazidi New Year, which is celebrated in April, uh, but the most important festival of the year is probably the one known as Jamia, or the Feast of Assembly, the Festival of Assembly. Um, which take place over the course of seven days. And this festival is, is sort of celebrated in honor of Sheikh Adi. And during this festival, Yazidis make a pilgrimage to Sheikh Adi's grave in Lalish, and there they perform religious rites, they listen to qawl, religious hymns and stories, and generally just get together as a community. <laughs> Yazidis also traditionally do personal daily prayers, which are said to be five. As with other minority groups, the Yazidis have, in a lot of periods, received less than ideal treatment. Uh, they have, for a large portion of history, been under the rule of Muslim empires and kingdoms. Uh, and this on-and-off persecution oppression by the Muslims can be traced, as in so many other cases, to social and political factors. So during the Ottoman era, for example, the Yazidis were sometimes tolerated, um, usually when they could be beneficial to the Ottoman state and the sultans by serving in the army or uh, things like this. Uh, but in other periods, they were often very much oppressed and persecuted for, according to the Ottomans, not paying their taxes and refusing to serve in the army. And of course, there is also a religious, or there is religious grounds for much of this persecution, as many Christians and Muslims in history have referred to Yazidis as devil worshippers. This is related to the story of the highest angel that I mentioned, called Malik Taus. And according to Yazidis, Malik Taus was asked by God to bow to Adam, the first man, to which he refused, uh, because he didn't want to bow to anyone except God himself. Um, so this was done out of love for God. And because of this, he was exalted as the highest of the angels. He was given the highest position. Now, of course, this is similar or almost identical to the story of Iblis, or Satan, in the Quran and the biblical account, who was also asked to bow to Adam, to which he refused. But in that story, God then punishes him for this refusal to follow God's orders. Um, and so this is why some Christians and Muslims have identified the, the Malik Taus of the Yazidis with the devil, or Lucifer, of the Abrahamic faiths. This claim, of course, the Yazidis deny, but being called devil worshippers doesn't exactly help your reputation and has often led to violence or justification for violence, such as with the Islamic State in 2014. But as a result of things like this, the Yazidis were often not considered the, among the people of the book, the Ahl al-Kitab, to the Muslims, and thus didn't retain the same rights as groups like Christians or Jews or sometimes Zoroastrians and so on. By the end of the Ottoman era, the Yazidis migrated from the Middle East to a large extent, and after the events of 2014, migration has become even more prominent. It's hard to know how many Yazidis there are currently in the world. Estimates can range between 200,000 to over a million. The large population that previously lived in the Sinjar Mountains was severely minimized in 2014 with the genocide, as 80% fled to other regions or other parts of the world completely.
Yazidism therefore has a significant diaspora community in Europe today. The new situation of entering a region of the world that they historically haven't and living as a diaspora community has led to, as it often does, to questions regarding integration and the levels to which one allows the religion to be adapted to the new societies. A prime example of this is the fact that Yazidis traditionally haven't been allowed to learn how to read or write, except those in the highest or smallest sheikh caste. Reasons for this doctrine isn't all that clear. Some say it was meant to keep the religious teaching secret and confined to the sheikh lineage, the religious sort of clergy. Uh, others say it was to avoid being educated in Islamic and sort of educational systems and schools. Nonetheless, as the Yazidis entered new regions like Europe, it could become quite a problem if you didn't know how to read or write. And so these uh, doctrines or these ideas have been sort of loosened up. And since the 1950s, the Yazidis, especially in diaspora communities, have tended to be allowed to read and write. And this is just one example of other sort of forms of discussions and debates about sort of levels of compromise or integration that is allowed to modify religious traditions. So as you can see, Yazidism is a very diverse and complex ethno-religious community that is very hard to define in a lot of cases. Um, it is clear that even if it does have its origins in a Sufi order, the Adawiyya of Sheikh Adi, as many claim, it has throughout history developed into its own religion, and its own unique tradition completely that is separated from the religion of Islam. And thus, it can tell us a lot about the myriad and vast array of different religious groups and minorities that exist in the Middle East today. I'll see you next time. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.